tisket, a tasket, a bloody, bloody basket. Cut his head and ate his leg. Now he's in a casket, a tisket, a tasket. Nip and dopey did it. He tried to get smart, so we ripped out his heart. Cooked it and we split. So we're going into things that got three votes, all right? Um, these are big hitters. Invisible Man, 1933, probably my favorite um, universal horror film. I can't say it's better than James Whale's other two films, but the sardonic, dark humor of it um, combined with the still good special effects. It's not that you can't figure out how they work, but they're not so terrible that they're distracting. I think they still they still function well. Um and the humor and, really works. Uh, yeah, it's it. a funny it's a funny movie, but it's also a dark movie and there's and it's a good like the thing I like about James Whale is 
he takes the story he's telling, like he takes the storytelling seriously, but he doesn't necessarily take the story seriously, which is to say like when the invisible man is going on his reign of terror, there's a really cool sequence where it keeps showing like these frightened people in their homes, listening to the radio and sort of showing the, the spread of terror throughout the country as no one knows where this man is. And it's actually like probably a hard thing to depict in film is to, to, is to show how, the the frightening thing about an invisible murderer running around a country is that no one can see him and no one knows where he is. Um, and he does a really good job with that. But at the same time, it's like there's silly bumbling cops <laughs> and a screeching innkeeper's wife. And I, I like this movie a lot. Yep, me too. Um, next, 1962, we're jumping all the way to the 60s. Burn, Witch, Burn. Um, are, now, I wanted to ask, have you seen Night of the Eagle? Nope, I have not. Okay, because the, the, this is the American title. I don't know if it's like Curse of the Demon and Night of the Demon, if there's a significant difference in cuts. Um, but this, I do know that the American version of Night of the Eagle opens with an announcer saying that this movie uh, has, in showing real witchcraft, this movie has potential curses in it. So, it, and then this like very serious announcer just gives an incantation to protect the audience <laughs> from from the witchcraft that is contained in the film very that's sensational that's showmanship yeah exactly pretty good um and then which is funny because the movie itself is not crazy and over the top the movie itself is a very measured story of a professor of anthropology um who discovers that his wife has been practicing witchcraft in order to advance his career um, which, you know, he advanced through the university very quickly and she believes that it's because of what she's done. And as a professor of anthropology, he knows about witchcraft and he knows that it's, you know, he knows that it's all superstition or whatever. But what he doesn't know is that other people in this university are also witches and that with and once he stops his wife from protecting him, they are trying to bring about his downfall. So basically it all comes down to the <laughs> politics of like being a tenured professor <laughs> like and, and like trying to be like the president of a department in in a university and stuff like that but um so it's a very british film in that way um very upper middle class uh sort of people dealing with witchcraft really cool movie though um very like like a lot of british films from that era like just kind of really good black and white photography um uh very enjoyable. I wouldn't say it's up there with uh, something like Curse, uh, Night of the Demon or Curse of the Demon, but it's uh, very good. Next is Onibaba from 1964, sort of a, a parable about these uh, two women who uh, rob and sometimes kill and rob samurai uh, and sell the and sell what they find in order to survive as their husbands um, and sons are are off fighting in this war. Um. Not much of a horror movie for a lot of it, but a very striking film, and and it builds a considerable amount of tension for something that withholds the supernatural angle for a long time. Yeah, and once it gets scary, it it might be my vote for the scariest of this whole run of uh, you know fifties, sixties uh, Japanese horror movies. Uh, for some reason, the stuff with the hole really upsets me i don't know why maybe because i'm just oh, really? afraid of falling into holes uh well, i mean that is that's just a, that's just that's also just classic film imagery like, yeah that's just classic jacques tourneur is just like 
make sure that there is a tunnel. Yeah. That, I mean, that's actually one of the things that about uh, that Absentia does really well with the tunnel that the people vanish in is you, you shoot it from a distance and you just see the light dropping off. And it's just this source of absolute blackness in the middle of the frame. And whole, the hole in this film is the same way where it's just it just feels like this place where people fall off the earth. Yeah, that's it's intense. It it it's uh, it might be. I don't know. We're going to talk about quite on in a minute here, but it might be my favorite of that whole era. It, it's also a lot shorter than some of these movies. Maybe that's part. Yeah, of it. It, it's certainly shorter than quite. Yeah. Um, I, I, I honestly, I didn't find it too scary. I like the tension that builds and I like that there's a lot of imagery of like the, the wind shaking the reeds and stuff like that. Like it builds a sort of air of something terrible is brewing without actually showing any ghosts for a long time. Right. Um, it implies the supernatural without anything supernatural actually happening, which helps the sort of the ending not feel so tacked on. I didn't personally find it too scary, but I think it's uh, quite good. Mm-hmm. Next is Blood and Black Lace, 1964. Mario Bava's uh, – is this a proto-Giallo or is this the first Giallo? This – I mean there are other Giallos before it. This is the first color okay. one. Okay. And so it sets a lot of stages as far as how colorful so many of these movies were. Um, we talked about it quite a bit on the Mario Bava bo- pro- uh, podcast. It's, it's uh, good because it has a sense of humor and it's really – uh, uh, hip and chic and colorful and fun and act- actually has the two killer twists at the end. Um, same as the, uh, uh, what we were just talking about with, what's it called? Uh, with, uh, just before yes. dawn. Yes. Um, yeah. I, and it just got a really great Blu-ray release from Arrow Video, uh, does it does it look good? Yeah, it finally looks good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, speaking of new Blu-ray releases, uh, a, a recurring theme on the on on this year's uh, big horror show is, is a lot of these films that got voted or have been rediscovered via new home video releases within the last couple. Um, of years. Valerie, <clears throat> Valerie, and her week of wonders got a new Criterion release. It's a check. I want to say uh, it's a very fun kind of fairy tale movie, very close to something that Guillermo del Toro would dip into, but much more sexual um, about a, a girl's sort of sexual awakening. Um, I think it, for my personal taste, it kind of dives into the surreal too, too gladly to the point where it was very hard, hard for me to follow the second half of the film. Um, it's it's got a lot of fun kind of dark fantasy spooky stuff in it. It's not necessarily a horror movie. It's closer to something like uh, almost Wizard of Oz or something like that um, in terms of in terms of the scary scenes that happen and the scary characters inside of it. Um, but it's really cool. It's a it's an interesting depiction of young sexuality, and it's one of those things where looking at it as an American. Uh, it's hard for me to tell what in it is creeping is creeping me out because I'm just not used to seeing nudity. Like I'm just used to nudity being sexualized, and therefore the fact that there is like a, a 15 or 14 year old girl uh, naked in certain scenes in this. Like I don't know if that's exploitative, or I don't know if that's just me because it doesn't feel exploitative. 
really. Or it doesn't feel nearly as exploitative as it could be. It doesn't feel like a Larry Clark movie or something. It doesn't feel leering. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's very much about this 13-year-old girl and her discovering her sexuality. And and it does so in a kind of coded uh, fairy tale way. And it, it feels like a... I mean, it's something that you always just kind of have to be a little suspicious of whenever it's just, like, an adult male man <laughs> making a film about a young girl's sexuality. There's always a little bit of, eh, I think I think there's enough precedent to give a side-eye to something like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's a, it's a good movie. And uh, I, watched, I watched the Facets original DVD release, and it does not look good, and the translation's bad. So I actually kind of want to revisit it on the Criterion and see it, if just it looking better... Uh, will improve my takeaway. It's also on the Criterion Hulu channel too, so some there you listeners go. could probably watch it there. Next is 1976, The Omen. Shocking, this didn't get voted last year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a it's a very classy horror movie, which is to it's say a it, big, it's a big budget Hollywood yeah. movie with Gregory Peck in it. That almost that is works to its disadvantage. Yeah, uh, in a lot of instances, I think. I think the one thing that definitely plays to that advantage is the fact that they have Jerry Goldsmith's score. Yep. Um, but ultimately, I, it, it's kind of, it's kind. I kind of enjoy it. I uh, there's a couple sequences that are really good. I think like the build up to the birthday party scene is really good. I I'm not a big fan of the Omen. Me neither. Uh, yeah, good good script. Uh, not script. Sorry, good score and uh, the good uh, the the sort of. Uh, Final Destination level uh, accidents. Uh, yeah, I like those. Um, I, I yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of it either. <clears throat> it's before I, I don't I don't know if the later Omen movies continued those accidents and just made that its gimmick. I don't remember honestly. <laughs> I'm so, but, I haven't uh, watched it. Never, it so never long. quite feels like a like when you think back at it. All the all the all the deaths in this movie happen via some terrible accident or in one case like a suicide. Yeah. But uh, it's it doesn't feel quite gimmicky in it in the way that like Final Destination does. Right. It doesn't really play. It, that isn't that is not the high concept of the film. The high concept of the film is the is the Antichrist is a man discovering his child's an Antichrist. But uh, next is 1976. God told me to. My personal favorite Larry Cohen movie. We talked about it extensively on the Larry Cohen episode. Um, I think it's just really creepy and unnerving, and I think it manages to actually say really interesting things about in, in this story of a, a man's struggle for faith. Um, I don't want to spoil it, so I can't really yeah. say why it's interesting. Yeah. Um, I had a spoilerly, I, we had a spoilery, uh, discussion of it on the Larry Cohen episode. So, um, if you want, if you really want to know, you can listen to that, but it's rough around the edges and the, it's, it's rough as hell as the way that most Larry Cohen movies are. It's but, it, it's one that that I had not seen since uh, those those budget release DVDs, and it it not looking like total shit made a huge difference, and it may have passed *Cue the Winged Serpent* now as my favorite too. It's it's definitely his most successfully dramatic movie. It has, yeah, uh, it's it's not funny like the other ones, and the and the the drama hits pretty hard. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think I voted for that one. 
Next is Long Weekend from 1979. What is this? This is one I had not seen for years. It's one of the few movies mentioned in the Ausploitation documentary uh, that has had other releases. It is about a couple with a crumbling marriage uh, that goes out to the coast uh, to, I guess, camp and sort of like get back to nature and work through their problems. Um, as the film goes on, you, you realize that she's had an affair and a, uh, abortion and that's what the real problem is, but that it's, uh, that the problem being that they, they keep very, uh, uh, nonchalantly damaging nature, like driving over stuff. Uh, they, he shoots randomly and, and hits a, uh, sea cow, I guess. Um, and uh, eventually nature starts to att- uh, kind of fight back. And it happens so gradually that it sounds silly when you say it, but it, it's actually yeah. really, really spooky. Um, and it's all – a lot of it is bright daylight shots that manage to be really spooky um, just because of the, the tone of the movie and the fact that you're stuck with basically two characters the entire film. Um and uh, and there are parts where they try to escape where they are and they can't figure out how to leave. So it has this sort of supernatural thing going on, too. And it, it, it's it, it also just got a Blu-ray release um, uh, and is is looks way better than the old uh, DVD did. And it, it is another one. I I'm very happy people voted for this one. All right. Next is Night of Death. We go into 1980 now. What is this? This is one I can't believe people voted for, and it just made my day. Uh, I discovered this one when it came out on DVD with no fanfare at all. It it, it, it didn't even get a Blu-ray release. It got just a DVD release. Um, it is uh, about a uh, retirement home uh, in, in France. It's a French movie. And uh, the retirees um, uh, murder and eat the uh, young women that uh, come to work there uh, as, like, you know, staff of some kind. Uh, and it's really funny in some situations and really creepy in other situations. And, it, um, it, it sounds like it shouldn't work. And, and the, the cover of the DVD kind of makes it look like it's a particularly gory movie when it's got a couple gory moments, but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting and, and different. Uh, and if you can find it, I think it might already be out of print. I don't know. Uh, it's another one that I would highly recommend. Um, all right. Awesome. And then now the next one is Extro from 1982. I'm going to see the only film print of this film in on the planet uh, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I'm excited for this fucking weird movie. Jim saw this recently and he just sent me like 100 emails going, what is happening? I saw Extro. This is fucking weird. I don't know who made this. Um, so all I know is it's apparently the weirdest alien ripoff. It's almost like an E.T. ripoff, but yeah, also an alien ripoff. It's, a, it's another movie about divorce, um, where a dad gets, uh, abducted by aliens and they think he just ran away and he comes back as an alien being. So it's a little like Starman actually, where it's not really him. Uh, and he has to deal with the fact that an, another man has moved into his house and his child, he kind of gives his child power. So there's all these scenes with the child doing really wacky stuff with his toys um and I, yeah if you're gonna see it tonight uh i don't really want to talk about it too much other than to say that i watched all three extra movies which are only related because the director owned the rights to the name extra and the <laughs> other two 
are standard issue alien ripoffs, really low budget aliens ripoffs, I should say, and not really worth seeing at all. Okay. I, I can't wait to see it myself. Next is 1983's Sleepaway Camp. Uh, I feel like, especially in the last couple of years, the cult around this one has really grown. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been a big fan of it. Uh, I mean, I, I should say, the first time I saw it, it was one of those movies that I watched with my friends in high school. And I was like, oh, this is hilarious. It's fucking weird. And we would quote it and stuff. But, like, rewatching it, I've never been a huge fan of it. Uh, that amazing, you know, the ending aside... But um, it's it has the uh, perversity about it that that you kind of get all over you while you're watching it. Um, that's really upsetting in a kind of good way, but is kind of a dull slasher movie otherwise. Yeah, um, but it is a, a slasher classic. And uh, if you don't know anything about it, uh, don't read about it. Just watch it, because uh, if you're one of the few people left in on this planet who can watch this movie and. Uh, have that ending pop up <laughs> yeah. it's a doozy um, next is 1985's Demons I saw this on the big screen uh, last weekend for the first time it is it it feels and now correct me if I'm wrong but to me it feels like Italian horror fully digesting Evil Dead and sort of going okay well here's this yeah um, yeah it's, uh, sort of completely like makeup effects driven yeah uh just crazy people turning into demons and killing other people in absurd ways and just gruesome effects of, you know, skin being torn and nails coming off and bodies being dismembered and things of that sort. I, I'm not a huge fan of it. It's it's just kind of a little too much all the time for me. I would say that, that actually uh, it was something like uh, because it's so effects driven, it would actually be a... Uh, American Wolf in London that had the biggest effect over it. Oh yeah. And that they were just doing what was hip. It was Argento co-wrote and produced it, but didn't direct it. He had a uh, Lamberto Bava direct it. Well, he did phenomenon, I think at the same time. Um, and it's, it isn't a very good movie and I struggle to even say it's a well-made movie. It, you, it, it's got some really rough, not well put together scenes. And, uh, it, but I imagine it's really great on the big screen where it just becomes like it's almost like a rock concert in that case where it's just yeah. noise and colors and and there's well, yeah. sort of semi interactivity of uh, of it being a movie within a movie. Exactly. Because it, it's in 1985, they weren't thinking about home video, really. So they did make it for theaters and they and in it, it's a bunch of people in a movie theater watching a horror movie that summons demons at an. And at a certain point, there's a terror happens in the screen, and it is framed perfectly, so it looks like the terror is happening in the movie screen. Um, this would be a, an ideal movie to get a uh, uh, to remake uh, as a roadshow thing, like they used to do in the '60s. They would do like uh, the Monsters Crash the Pajama Party or whatever, and mm-hmm. they would have a roadshow of a single print of a film and they'd bring the actors along and at certain points in the film, actors would leave the screen and go into the audience mm-hmm. and like there would be actors planted into the audience and those actors would be dragged away by the monsters and they would be dragged into the movie screen. Uh, <laughs> if someone did a demons remake that, <laughs> that had, that had like an interactive uh, Rocky horror sort of level to it, that would be utterly delightful. And you could get Claudio Simonetti to do uh, live music to it too. 
there you go. Now that's now now you know that is that's going down the road that Francis Ford Coppola went. <laughs> right, but but you know they've been doing Goblin's been doing those uh, Suspiria shows where they just play along with the movie. I, I could oh, see yeah. I could see them pulling that in the same vein. Uh, mm-hmm. The sequel, by the way, is is the home video version where they come out of the TV and is mostly despised, at least was mostly despised by fans as being basically the same thing. But I actually like the sequel more. I, it's kind of a, a Shivers ripoff because it takes place in one uh, futuristic apartment building and everything goes wrong from there. <clears throat> cool. Next is The Lost Boys, 1987. Joel Schumacher. Probably Joel Schumacher's best-looking movie. Um, I really like what he does with you know colored lights and, and the boardwalk and stuff. I think that is really effective in establishing the sense of place other than that i'm not a fan of lost boys i actually don't like it this movie really at all uh, i don't yeah. even sure if i like the aesthetic I, it's not does not appeal to me no um but it's very popular yeah, it is it is popular a lot of people have a lot of affection for it it's it's just one of those things where if you're the kind of person who still has who can still have affection for movies like the goonies this is one it's 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 in between, you know, like it's the Goonies, and then you can step into Monster Squad, and then this is like one step mm-hmm. closer to like a they're, real movie. They're teenagers qu- now instead of children. Yeah, but it doesn't. It still doesn't quite feel like a real movie. And it still it, feels it, it, silly. And it's telling. Kids. It's telling that one of the most enduring things is sweaty, uh, greasy, shirtless saxophone guy. Yeah, that that's one of the most enduring images of the whole movie. Has nothing to do with vampires or the movie itself. Right. Um, next is the Video Dead, nineteen eighty-seven. Uh, what is this? Uh, it's a straight-to-video horror movie that's really kind of crummy, but has a kind of fun premise where it's like the ring. Only instead of passing the tape around, people keep getting this television just delivered to their houses, um, and, it, <laughs> and they decide to use it because they're idiots, I guess. I don't know. Um, and uh, it plays the same. Uh, zombie movie and eventually the zombies start coming out of the screen and uh, wreaking havoc and it's uh, main characters are uh, it's pretty much a brother and sister they're like a teenager and a child and it's got some fun effects it's uh, got a good uh, half man zombie kind of like like he's just the upper half of a body running around and it's uh, if I'm remembering right it's got a good scene where a bunch of rats crawl out of a zombie's guts so it is it is in the vein of Demons 2 as well. Kind of, yeah. Actually, yeah. But really, um, really low low rent. Sure. Next is uh, Society, 1989. I feel like this got a, a big revival recently when a Blu-ray came out. Yep, came out. Uh, um, big collector's edition Blu-ray. This is... I haven't seen it since I originally saw it in high school, but my thoughts at the time were great special effects, really great ending, kind of a dull film. Kind of a dull film with uh, an interesting message. I like the the idea of the upper class being uh, monsters, um, inbred monsters. Uh, at that, um, yeah, the the a lot of the jokes don't really land. Like I was saying on the Stuart Gordon podcast, it's Brian Usna or Yuzna. I do not know how to say his name. Uh, he kind of developed his style alongside Stuart Gordon, so there's a lot of Gordonisms here, but. Other than the special effects and the colorful photography, uh, it, I, I'm not a huge fan of it. But I appreciate it, for sure. Um, next, shocking, 
that this didn't get voted last year. So weird. Brain Dead, a.k.a. Dead Alive, Peter Jackson's classic zombie movie. I almost feel like it's redundant to talk about it. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's still great. And it, it's got it, my favorite thing about it is it, it, is that it has a nice little love story at the center that I actually care about. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's what makes it a um, I mean, that's that's what makes it work. That's what makes it ste- a step above every other comedy zombie movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about zombie movies later uh, um, it, when we get to the ones that got four votes. Uh, next is Candyman. From 1992. Uh, I love Philip Glass, so I love the score to this film. Um, I think it's a cool premise. I think the plot kind of goes up its own ass a bit and gets hard to follow. But I think it's got really cool vibes, and I I enjoy this movie. And really, really well made. And really well acted. And Virginia Madsen, I believe, is the lead. And she doesn't appear in stuff very often anymore. This is the only film I feel that really, like, you know, I think... think, uh, um, Oh god, Clive Barker. I think Clive Barker's thing as a as a fiction writer um is hard to translate yeah. to a uh, film because it it usually involves such a casual dipping into fantasy yeah. and usually and honestly whenever special effects happen they usually just feel like I mean just as a matter of fact they usually just end up happening having movies in a separate shot. They have to be a photo- like they have to be a, a CGI or they have to be an optical effect or something like that, um, and so oftentimes that sort of that sort of slow fade into fantasy into the world of horror mm-hmm. um, into the surreal uh, doesn't is not effective and I think Candyman is probably or they or just or it just yields a fun cheesy movie mm-hmm. you know like Hellraiser does that but the way it does that is just by being a crazy special effects movie. Yeah. Um but I think Candyman is like the classiest like best possible uh, sort of Clive Barker thing you can do while still sort of having its own identity. Yeah. Um next is Mirrors 2008. Uh this is another Aja film. You hadn't seen this but I and I'm surprised it. it got 3 votes cuz it had a bad reputation when it really came bad. out. It was it had widely a terrible mocked. reputation. Um to the point where nobody even mentions that he directed it. It's his one I think it's his biggest budget movie uh, and i'd always been told it was a remake of kim sung ho's uh, uh into the mirror but i was reading up on it and he only kept the concept of mirrors and imported uh some set pieces i guess um it looks like all his other movies and that it's slick but also grainy kind of thing mm-hmm. um the idea is that there is this haunted uh uh, department store that was set on fire and uh, they ha- somebody has to be a guard there because the building's still there and the previous night guard killed himself and they give away too much at the beginning because the opening scene is the guard being attacked uh, by his own reflection basically um, seeing his own reflection and then his reflection kills itself and then that kills him so they give away too much too early and but is it is it is it good or does it deserve its sort of bad reputation? It's 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 generic is the problem. It's it, okay. it's just it's just a, a a cop movie that has and and he has to figure out and nobody believes him and they think he's crazy and that maybe he's the one causing these murders. Um, it's got a couple of things that stand out. Uh, Amy Smart's death scene is uh, her reflection tears its it reaches inside its mouth and pulls its mouth apart and it happens to her in reality. Uh, that was really intense, and uh, the very ending, the twist at the end, is is expected, 
but also well done and and kind of uh, sad. Where mm-hmm. uh, I'll just spoil this one. He he defeats uh, the monster. They have to go get a nun because it's every uh, you know all those uh, Asian. Uh, ghost stories you have to the the ghost always has some sort of uh, unresolved problem uh they have to get a nun to resolve the problem and which is unfortunate because then the ghosts just go into the nun and then it turns into Kiefer Sutherland literally beating up and shooting a nun uh that's good um, but he thinks he's won and he walks outside and everything's feeling good and you sort of notice that people aren't really talking to him and he looks and 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 everybody's name tags are reversed and all the other stuff is reversed and he walks around town and everything is on the wrong side and you realize that he's actually become trapped in the mirror and of can't with anybody and it's well done it's actually sort of like oh bummer that sucks for him kind of I mean, it's but it's full of cliches otherwise and it's really forgettable and i'm kind of surprised it got as many votes as it did yeah i, I wonder if something happened like if it just popped up on netflix recently or something that like could that. be that makes sense um but uh, next is House of the Devil, 2009. Very well-regarded Ty West. Uh, not his debut, but this was the one that uh, sort of got him notice and acclaim among sort of art house fans as uh, as well as horror fans. Cannot stand this movie. I think it is the worst. I think it. I think the. I think he tries to go for a slow burn, but he doesn't know how to do a slow burn, and I think it just ends up being totally motionless. Uh, I don't know how you. How do you feel about this? Though? I remember giving it a lukewarm review, and then I watched it again and really hated it the second time. And I think my favorite thing about it is the opening titles. Yeah, they're <laughs> great. <laughs> they're really good. Uh, I really wanted to like this movie because yeah. he does the he does the uh, era, you know, sort of emulation titles so well in the way that um, uh, Craig Brewer does for his films. And Duke of Burgundy did pretty well too. Yeah, yeah, Duke of Burgundy is doing a different thing. Like yeah. I think both. Both Craig Brewer's films and this film do the freeze frame sort of yeah. huge title card. Um, and then Duke of Burgundy was doing a different thing, but Duke of Burgundy did a really good job. Yes. Um, but, yeah, if you like this movie, God bless you. Uh, you. You know what? Ty West finally made a movie I liked. Uh, his latest one. Uh, I don't remember. Sacrament? What, uh, uh, the one that was basically just uh, uh, the Jim Jones. Yeah, the Sacrament. Yeah. Uh, I like that one all right. I, I people have said that I'm I'm too afraid. I didn't hate I'll, it. I'll try it out. It, it's not great, but I, you might like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> next is Shutter Island, 2010. Um, I I remember a lot of people being really critical of the twist of this movie. Yeah. And and I think this I I saw this for the first time this year. I think this movie's really good. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think this I think the twist is really good. The problem with the twist is that it requires so much patience on everybody in the story that they're all playing yeah. along with it. But if you can let that go, and also notice the fact that it, the ending is kind of has this bittersweetness where he it's sort of acknowledged that maybe he knows, yeah, uh, what and that maybe he thinks he's going to be better off with the lobotomy. Yeah, it's a re- it's a really dark ending. Yeah, and I think that um, that, that people missed that the first time, and that I I certainly missed it the first time. Yeah. Uh, that was that that when we were talking about it. Uh, I think we did a bonus. Me and Regina did a bonus episode about it. Actually, okay. Um, we talked about that, and I I hadn't really caught that, but I I think that's a really cool aspect of it. It's gorgeously made, and it has a lot of references to random horror movies that 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 uh, Scorsese likes. That I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I know that there's some. Stuff with, with his drowned children, that stuff is shot to look a lot like uh, Curse of the Cat People. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's all these. It, it actually has almost the same plot as a really uh, grimy uh, exploitation movie called Don't Look in the Basement. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, which I, I honestly recommend watching both of them because they have so much in common. It's sort of adorable. That's because they're because one is a huge yeah. budget uh, Hollywood they're, thriller. They're and utter the other opposites is, in every yeah. other regard. Yeah, that's funny. Um, next is 2012 Maniac, the remake. This is something I have not seen all the way through, so I can't. I everything I'm saying is qualified by I haven't seen it all the way through. Um, I couldn't finish it, and we I remember we actually had a, a disagreement about this film um, when I finished when I turned it off and complained about it on Facebook. Which is that I think that the first person angle actually just ends up being, it ends up just feeling like an excuse for no style. Like it just feels like a found footage movie to me um, in which, in which instead of a camp, someone holding a camera, they're just walking around. But like, I don't think it actually gets much mileage out of the first person angle, at least in the first you know 30 minutes I saw. And then everything else is just pretty rote serial killer movie stuff that I just, I'm kind of done with and tired with. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. think, I think you're a fan of this movie. I am. I think it's it, it. And I think that the first person thing is very clearly a gimmick. And it's interesting that, that I think it's two points and they choose to break from it. It's interesting. I think it's just, I think it's a very thoughtfully made movie um, with a really good performance. And I, I really appreciate how it is, basically the same movie as the original on a basic plot level but so much has changed just by hiring uh, uh elijah wood instead of uh uh oh now i'm forgetting his name uh the guy in the original the giant greasy uh oh man uh guy in the original movie. joe spinell spinell thank you they are just utter opposites um and I think it actually makes it really because I'm not a huge fan of the original either. The original is 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 a movie that succeeds on its aesthetic and uh, uh, just how dark it is on every level. Um, it's relentlessly unpleasant. Yes. Whereas this one is is ta- it, it's almost beautiful. I think. Uh, in uh in the way it treats the murder and that the, the tragedy of the killer um works better for me i i think it's i think i could see it uh losing some of its appeal in in you know a couple years watching it again but i i think it's a really well put together movie cool and now we're going into four votes uh, these are favorites. These are the these are big ones. These are highly recommended unless we see unless we've both seen them and we both we tell you they're crap. <laughs> but, but probably that won't happen. Uh, Black Sabbath, nineteen sixty three. My vote. Uh, I talked about this on the anthology horror episode as well, so I don't want to go too far into it. Um, my vote for the best looking color horror film of all time, made uh, with only a handful of years within uh, Mario Bava, also directing the best looking black and white right. horror film of all time, Black Sunday. So. Uh, God damn, that guy. And also just naming them Black Sunday and Black Sabbath is kind of just like Babe Ruth pointing to the center field. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, <laughs> like, here's the two. Yeah, Whoa. it's, um, I think we talked about it on the Baba thing, too. The one thing I wanted to bring up from that, though, is that the two different cuts, the uh, AIP American cut and the original Italian cut, have a lot of differences. Uh, yeah. And I honestly don't know which one I like better. Um, really? 
Yeah, the the I, AIP I think cut. The Italian cut is so much better. Yeah, the Italian cut has the uh, the lesbian subtext put back in, which is really important. It has the better mm-hmm. order, but mm-hmm. I really miss uh, the kind of uh, the opening from the AIP one with uh, uh, Karloff introducing things, and I really miss Karloff's actual voice. If there was a way to add the opening and uh, and somebody would put out the Italian version with an option for an English dub for some yeah. some of it. That would be the perfect version of it, because the because the AIP one has the has the Corman esque sort of a thing where the in between all the stories there's like a really really cheap effect, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like the same with Tales of Terror where I think literally at one point they just blink on and off a picture of a heart and increase the volume of a heartbeat sound effect, yeah, <laughs> and like that's the that's what happens, but so and I don't want to dive into this because I just went into yeah, this on yeah. the anthology horror episode, but. Uh, this time watching Black Sabbath, I was really struck by thinking about it in terms of this is Mario Bava's first color horror film. I, I think he made like a, a sort of a sword and sandals movie that was in color before this. Yeah. Um, but this is his first color horror film. And to me, the progression of the film and sort of the underlying theme of the whole thing, or at least maybe like the metatextual layer of the whole thing is someone trying to work out exactly how do you do horror in color? Do you, it, does this make it more realistic? Does this make it less realistic? Yeah. And the progression of the phone call um, to the Wordalac to a drop of water is just slowly sinking into more and more expressionist uses of lighting and more sort of, it, it's almost like watching in real time someone embracing the a lack of reality mm-hmm. um, in horror and how and how scary and effective things can be even when they're completely and utterly unbelievable, mm-hmm. which of course then dovetails into the final thing in in the Italian cut, which is uh, <laughs> Boris Karloff on that fucking horse and all the stagehands running around like lighting fog and running around with yep. branches and it was all I, good I, fun. <laughs> yeah, like that that all of that all those act. Elements of it elevate it to me. Mm-hmm. Like I think this might be my favorite anthology horror film ever made, and all those elements really only work together in the Italian cut. So for me, mm-hmm. Italian cut, hundred percent way to go. Yep. But I I do appreciate uh, wanting to hear Boris Karloff's voice. Yeah. Nineteen seventy one, The Devil's Ken Russell film. This is I feel like this is a film that I've always wanted to see because I've heard about, but I've never had access to it, and I don't know if there's like a good DVD version or not. And yeah, there's supposed to be uh, one in the UK, but I, I, I don't know if it's uncut or not, as I have to look into it. Um, but so tell me about the Devils. Um, honestly, I haven't seen it since VHS. Oh wow, that's uh, I, I probably, I, I, I mean, I suppose I could try to import a version of it, but um, it's uh, it's sort of the um, movie that made all of these. Uh, uh, Movies like I, we were talking about, uh, Mark, Mark of the Devil, and uh, it's it sort of, it, it, and, and then and then also led into all the non-sploitation movies, which are far less classy than The Devils. Um, but it was it was is sort of it's a, based on a true story, um, and uh, is uh, very well directed by uh, um, Ken Russell, who. Uh, I don't know uh, what other uh, horror, like straight horror movies he did other than Gothic. I can't think of any. Uh, he, he mostly stuck to movies that were strange, but uh, not necessarily horror. Uh huh. 
and I know that there's a really big uh, uh, push to finally get this a uh, U.S. release, um, it, which it hasn't had since VHS. I actually um, have. And, and, I actually own the VHS because we're selling off all of our VHS movies at my store, and I saw we had the yeah. Devils, and I'm like, well, I can't play this, but I bet I could sell this. <laughs> yeah. It says here there is a restored cut, so I'm going to guess that the uh, British uh, DVD has the full version of it. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's it, it it's famous for its controversy, and then became famous because it's so well made and actually has something to say about uh, the. Yeah, it's full of uh, uh, what would have been political subtext of the late seventies uh, in Britain. Okay. Cool. Next is Zombie, a.k.a. Zombie 2, depending on what side of the Atlantic you're on. Um, yeah. From 1979, classic Lucio Fulci film. I saw this for the first time this month. It is... It's, it is, other than... It, it bridges the gap between feeling just like a weird, irrational nightmare and actually being a... and having a plot you're able to follow um, really well. Uh, I, I think this is a very good movie. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's maybe even more influential than Dawn of the Dead was in all these, uh, uh, European, uh, zombie movies, yeah. uh, that followed. And, uh, Fulci always claims it actually made more money in the long run than Dawn of the Dead. And it is uh, sort of almost unfortunate that it has always been framed as a Dawn of the Dead ripoff because it has surprisingly little in common with yeah, it. Yeah, it's other not than really similar. Eat people. Um, and in fact, it's sort of a setup to be a prequel because it ends with the zombies entering New York. Right. Uh, it, it, I guess people didn't realize that Night of the Living Dead existed or something. I don't know. The idea of being a prequel was kind of cute. Um, and it's one of, it, it's maybe like the perfect uh, exploitation film. Um, and all you have to do is look at the scene where uh, uh, Olga Carlatos uh, has her eyeball in Playelt, which is the most famous scene, other than maybe the guy riding the shark, which I remember seeing in like a LG television ad or something recently, <laughs> um, which kind of blew my mind. But um, in that scene, she starts in the shower, and at one point there's a mirror so we can see both her front and back. Yeah. Because, you know, you need to get... If you're going to have nudity, might as well have full nudity. Yeah, you're, you're, you're paying for the whole actress, not just one half of her. Right, <laughs> and, and and it does that whole thing where, you know, she doesn't react quickly enough. And uh, at, the, at the time, everybody watching the movie assumed that as she's slowly pulled towards a splinter, that the movie is... It, it's going to cut. Right. But it doesn't not... Not only is it not cut and have the thing go in, but it, it just keeps going in, and then it breaks off. And then later we find her on the ground just ripped to shreds. Another another uh, difference between these zombies and the Dawn of the Dead zombies is they these zombies seem, like, specifically evil and malicious, not just, like, uh, automatons that are trying to eat people. Yeah, and it's... it's Some of them are supposedly conquistadors, which, you know, right. I, I'm pretty sure a conquistador's corpse would not have any flesh left on it at this point. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the bones would barely even exist. Right. It, it, I don't know. I don't know a lot about decomposition, but but I, I don't think many people... conquistadors were mummified. No, no. Um, and 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 uh, it's there's there is something about the 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 drums uh, 
that's never really covered, but th- there is an idea in there that that somebody is using voodoo to bring these zombies back to life. Um, and it's it's sort of wrapped up in the fact that there's a doctor finding a, a reason as to why this is happening. Um, and uh, the idea that they think they're safe on one side of the island versus the other side of the island has always been amusing to me. Uh, but it's it's just it's really well put together, and even even the the special effects that don't look real are still super gruesome, and just even maybe even grosser than they would look if they were real. Yeah. And I love the 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 mud pot zombies that the weird look that they have to them mm-hmm. where they're made out of dirt. Um, right. Where the, the the implication, I guess, being that they're so decomposed they're not even recognizable. Like as right. the shape of humans, or just dirt is so caked onto them that you can't see the bones. Yeah, and and there's a lot of I, I think there's a lot of things Fulci does with the camera that are kind of underrated. Um, there's one shot that's one of my all-time favorite shots in movies ever, and it's a very simple shot where uh, camera the name of the character with the beard uh, is running around with a shotgun, and uh, a zombie starts to come in through a higher window. And the camera sort of starts on one side of him, rolls around him, and then tips upwards and zooms slightly into him as he shoots the zombie. And it's, it, there's little touches that I think are overlooked uh, because it's also sort of a trashy movie with lots of nudity and violence yeah. and, a, and a plot that's not exactly uh, Shakespeare, as they right, say. Right, yeah. It's not a classic in the way that Dawn of the Dead is a classic. It's not as well made as that, but it, it delivers every everything you want it to. Which is not something you can say about a, a lot of uh, films. <laughs> no, there's no filler. Yeah. It's not like a lot of the movies that followed that are a lot of them are filler between the stuff you want to watch. Right. Even the talking scenes have their appeal. Mm-hmm. So next is Friday the 13th from 1980. We talked a fair amount about the series. I think this is a pretty good slasher movie that just unexpectedly took off. Uh, didn't didn't yeah. the series didn't even really gain its iconography until part three, which is it's one of the right. strange things about the series. This one on its own, pretty good slasher movie that yeah I guess was just marketed fucking really well, um, and gains a lot from Savini effects. Yeah, and it's and it's uh has a lot of uh, excuse me, uh, it's kind of. Giallo, he, he he borrowed things from Giallo movies, like the weird fact that uh, Mrs. Voorhees' sweater matches one of the characters in Bay of Blood. Uh, it's like the exact same sweater really? as one of the male male characters. And yeah, it's a little weird things like that. And Bay of, Bay of Blood, like people mistakenly say that Friday the 13th is just a remake of Bay of Blood, which is just not right at all. Right. But there are a lot of fun little uh, things that Cunningham borrowed. And Cunningham is not nearly the filmmaker that, you know... Wes Craven or or John Carpenter or even Steve Miner is (laughs) yeah actually I would yeah I would almost say he is the weakest director in the entire series uh as a director it's hard to say I don't know maybe the later ones uh 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 Jason Takes Manhattan's pretty badly directed um it's hard to say right um but uh you know it, it certainly has its place in history and another thing that go- has going for it as far as attracting votes is people have seen it. <laughs> yes. Like, if you if you don't have to have an interest in horror movies. If you are just interested in film history, you've probably seen Friday the 13th. Right. So it's, uh, especially considering all the movies that were off the table this year, 
I imagine a lot. I don't. I imagine. I don't exactly know where all the votes came from, but I imagine a lot of listeners or readers who didn't necessarily uh, aren't necessarily big horror buffs. This would be one that they would go to because shockingly, there were no Friday the Thirteenth movies listed last year. Right. Um, so the next is Phenomena, nineteen eighty-five, uh, Dario Argento uh, film. Maybe his weirdest movie. You hadn't seen this one. I have not. I thought that you watched it for the thing. Yeah, it's um. This has it's over the top. I, I this has bees and stuff in it, right? It's uh Jennifer young Jennifer Connelly. I think it's only her second movie. Is a uh, girl who has a uh, relationship with insects. Um, this is a kitchen sink movie. This is Argento throwing like outrageous amounts of stuff into a movie and then hoping it sticks. Basically, is it super long? <laughs> No, it's actually not. The uh, The American cut was, was cut down to 80, 80 minutes or something, and the um, original cut is under two hours. It's not super long. Uh, she has an affinity for insects and can kind of communicate with them. She's sent to uh, – she has a very wealthy, famous father. I think he's a uh, an opera singer or a pop star of some kind. I can't remember. Uh, she's taken to this boarding school, and she doesn't really get along with most of the people. And, and meanwhile, there is somebody murdering the girls at the boarding school. And uh, also a man played by Donald Pleasance, who is an entomologist who is being approached by the police to help solve the crime because he can read how long the maggots have been there and stuff like that. Okay. And he has a helper uh, chimpanzee because he is disabled. Um, and he and Jennifer Connelly kind of hook up and because she can communicate with insects, he's like, you need to ask the flies where these bodies are being hidden. And so she goes and does this, even though she's like a 13 year old, 14 year old girl. Um, meanwhile, the killer kills him. And so the, the chimpanzee goes on a, on a rampage trying to find who killed, uh, <laughs> finds us. The, ch- the chimpanzee finds a straight razor and goes on a, to, to, to avenge her master. I, uh, I, when you said the chimpanzee goes on, I imagine, immediately imagine like the cop movie trope of like, the guy whose partner is killed and then he just goes like drinking and he's just like, I'm going to get that bastard. It's like, I'm not a cop anymore. Like that chimp just, just like now it's personal. It's a little like that. She kind of like sits on his lap and, and pouts and then walks uh, off and then finds a straight razor and starts swinging the straight razor and kind of making happy monkey sounds. (laughs) Um, And so Jennifer Connelly discovers that it is, uh, the killer is not the uh, woman, uh, the, uh, I think she's a uh, counselor or something at the school. I cannot remember uh, her role, who's actually Daria Nicolodi, uh, who was Argento. And I think her and Argento had just broken up at that time. And she is a, uh, not the killer, but it is her deformed son. And uh, the deformed son is killed by... uh, uh, the, the flies that uh, Connolly screams and the flies come and rescue her. And then uh, there's a, a lot of stuff is happening. I'm skipping over a bunch of stuff. It ends uh, with uh, Daria Nicolodi uh, killing her, her father's uh, assistant who comes to pick her up in a shocking twist. But then just as it looks like she's going to kill Jennifer Connolly, the monkey that you forgot or the chimp you forgot about appears out of nowhere, punches her and then slashes her face up. And Jennifer Connolly and the chimp walk quite uh, happily into the, moon set i guess instead of sunset <laughs> so yeah uh real quick where would you put this uh, as far as uh dario argento's films is this one of the better ones this sort of middling it it's it's uh 
It's one that a lot of his fans hated when it was released, um, that uh, when you see the longer cut, it makes a huge difference. It has, even that the story's silly, it at least fills it in. I would put it towards the middle, um, but if we're talking just pure entertainment value, more towards the top. Uh-huh. Just pure entertainment value, maybe top five, top four. Cool. Next is Layer of the White Worm, 1988. Uh it's an- what? I just said Ken Russell didn't do another horror movie, and here we are with a Ken Russell. Oh, okay, movie, so this so is I Ken Russell. What is this? This is Ken Russell just sort of having fun. Uh, it's a, a silly, it's a comedy, it's based on a, a Bram Stoker story that the actual story is insanely uh, misogynistic. Like, it's just about, the subtext is all about Stoker's fear of women, basically. Okay. It's, it's about how scary vaginas are. Um, and, uh, honestly, the plot kind of escapes me, but, uh, a young Hugh Grant kind of is ends this up, a vampire that Stoker story. Yeah. It's that Stoker thing where somebody ends up, uh, in a situation where there's a vampire that's sort of being his friend, but actually wants to eat him, you know, I see. And there's a very cute scene where, uh, the vampire is actually compelled, uh, to dance when there's music. And one of the men who is at her place picks up a, um, I don't think it's a pan, it's a flute, and starts playing a song. And she very disturbing, and you could see the look on her face is disturbed. Her eyes get really big, and she starts dancing, and she dances her way towards him and snatches it away from him and says, "Please don't play that anymore." Pretty good. Yeah, uh, we're gonna skip over the '90s completely. Go to session nine, two thousand one. Uh, I feel like this was a. a- Big, big deal when it came out. Uh, I haven't seen it since high school, so I don't remember much about it. I remember it being pretty creepy. It's pretty creepy. I haven't watched it since I first saw it. I, I kind of think it's a little bit overrated. I didn't really get too frightened, but it's the kind of creepy that doesn't usually bother me that much. Mm-hmm. So for that kind of creepy that it does, it is definitely uh, successful, I would say. Did the, what's the director's name? Brad Anderson? Did, did yeah. you want to do anything else of, of note? Um, he did the one where, uh, uh the machinist, uh, okay, that's right. Christian Bale lost a million pounds. Right. Okay. He did a pretty good episode of, uh, masters of horror about a guy whose hearing is so sensitive that it drives him insane. All right. Okay. I remember that episode. Okay, cool. Session. Yep. So, sorry. Sorry. We don't remember it too well. That's all right. Um, next is Indolent Empire 2006. This is David Lynch's final feature film. Maybe, maybe he'll come back and do another one. Um, it's very similar to something like Mulholland Drive, um, though I think it's more explicitly sort of nightmarish and surreal. Um, it kind of, it, it got a lot of criticism at the time because it came out because it was shot on very low grade digital cameras. So it is not beautiful in the way that almost all of David Lynch's movies are beautiful. But I, mm-hmm. but now that we have sort of entered an era in which, uh, digital aesthetic is trying to ape film and is sometimes successful and sometimes not. Um, I find that I find digital films that really look digital and like run at 30 frames per second and that sort of thing. I find that that aesthetic is actually quite compelling, like a Michael Mann movie um, and stuff like that. So, and he actually gets a lot of real, he gets a lot of mileage out of that camera just via disturbing close-ups of people's faces and and like really harsh lighting uh and just seeing like dark lights and shadows being heavily pixelated it does emphasize how scary some of the stuff is 
unfortunately, I have the same problem with this as I have with um, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, which is it's like an hour of really good material and then a, just a bunch of bullshit I don't care about. Um, Isn't it really long? Yeah, I, I've it's, never it's, seen it. uh, it's like two hours, 57 minutes. Yeah, um, that's that's yeah. I mean, I it wasn't uh, it didn't feel like a, a test of wills the way some of his films do, uh, if only because uh, it was easier for me to surrender to it because it's more explicitly surreal and more heightened in the way that like something like Eraserhead is maybe. So when the when it goes to the lady in the radiator, you're not necessarily trying to figure out the puzzle of the lady in the radiator. You just kind of accept that this is an expressionist sort of. Uh, you know, interpretation of what this character is feeling or whatever. Um, but there's about an hour of really fucking scary movie in this. And then there's a, about two hours of just nonsense. Um, <laughs> so uh, other people who are more into Lynch, who can kind of vibe <laughs> with nonsense, people who like, you know, like the second half of Lost Highway or people who like Wild at Heart, um, people who don't mind his ticks as much or even really love his ticks, Inland Empire is definitely worth seeing. Uh, don't believe the hype as far as it being ugly or too long. Uh, but if if you don't like that shit, then maybe you, maybe you don't want to see it. Um, also, the DVD doesn't have subtitles, which is like uh, <laughs> one of the, just a weird choice. Um, next is 2013's Under the Skin, really really good uh, sci-fi movie with Scarlett Johansson uh, as an alien who comes to Earth and preys on men. Um, really good film i think we talked about it a lot uh the year it came out on that at year's end of year episode it's really creepy i think it has a real lot of interesting things to say about the structures in which men allow women to exist and the structures in which men don't allow women to exist um and sort of you know she is like people say oh it's the art house version of virus but virus is all about this like femme fatale who's and it's like that old school just kind of misogynist approach to well you know like watch out for the the beautiful women because they're they'll eat you up and this she literally eats men but but because it's only from her perspective you begin to empathize with her at least i did um and then the more she tries to step out of that uh just being this like consuming like sexy seductress who consumes men and the more she tries to like be her own person that's when she sort of just all hell breaks loose and everything falls apart and it becomes a nightmare. It's really amazing. Very striking looking movie. Very understated. Yeah. We, I don't think we got this in theaters in Minnesota. If we did, I just missed it. So I was a little afraid of the hype, Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it actually lived up to it. And it's a movie that I, I think about the images quite a bit. Yeah. I, I I did get to see this in theaters and it was intoxicating because I I didn't really have a theory about it at first. I didn't really catch all of the ideas of sort of uh, the patriarchy and stuff in the film. So I just walked out totally uh, gobsmacked by it. Yeah. But it's a, it's a really good one. Um, next, <laughs> next is Wormwood Road of the Dead from 2014. Uh, I kind of want to go on a rant right now about sort of zombies in modern culture. Uh, if you like this movie, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoy it. I, I fucking hate this movie. Um, you know, if this if, if you found this to be, like, funny and entertaining and everything, you know, more power to you. I'm not judging you or anything. I just... I On top of the thing we already talked about with your next as far as just, like, super ugly handheld digital uh, aesthetic, um, 
there is a thing about zombies in culture now that is just shitty that I don't enjoy. And I think it, it mostly comes from like video games, which is there was a point where zombies were at, they're totally disempowering where it's like night of living dead. They're going to outnumber you and they're going to break in. And it's inevitable, just like absolute force of destruction. And then, you know, you know, Dawn of the Dead, it's sort of introduced this idea of like, well, if they're just cadavers, we can kill them in like super gory ways and stuff like that. And we can have all sorts of fun with the effects in that. But even then that, the zombies are are overwhelming and it's dangerous. And if you just let your guard down, they're going to kill you. Um, even if you're just in a room with one of them, you know, you 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 don't get your gun the right, you know, if your gun jams or whatever, yeah. you could be fucked. And there's still this force of there's still this threat and there and there's still um this sort of unholy force and even in like you know when they do get shot and it's all gory and stuff in like zombie or or zombie 2 like that that movie when the zombies get shot it's almost disempowering because you can just pump them full of all sorts of bullets and they don't feel it <laughs> they right it, basically they're just being slowed down right they're and and it's like and it's the opposite thing of what you expect to happen when you point a gun at something and shoot it which is that it falls down um so right. for the longest time the, the history of zombies has just been like disempowering and uh overwhelming and even in something like dead alive where and i think honestly dead alive is sort of where the tide turned, but people didn't take the message of Dead Alive, which is the message of Dead Alive is like this guy's life is just absolutely being overwhelmed by all of these zombies, and it's not in the same way that they are in most movies. He it's more like he has he has a zombie daycare. Yeah. But there's still like this threat, and then that that's why it's such a catharsis at the end when he just runs them all down with a lawnmower. Um yes. and I feel that m- nowadays there's a lot of zombie shit that is just the end of Dead Alive with the lawnmower. And the idea is, well, they're all these slow-moving, just fucking uh, bags of blood that we can shoot and explode and the heads fly off. And it's like, and so now we can have badass characters who it's with who just run around and fucking kill all these things and just inflict egregious violence. And is aren't they fucking cool for doing that? And I think it's like a video game thing and it's, and there's a certain level of it even in the Walking Dead TV series with just like that that series always feels really weirdly conservative to me in that it's almost always unquestioned that the men make all the decisions. Um and also that gun ownership is like the most important thing. Um No, no, I, I had a revelation recently about Walking Dead yeah. and I'm wondering why it doesn't appeal to me as someone who Dawn of the Dead is like maybe sadly the most one of the most important things in my life uh-huh. like i define many things about my personality because i love that movie and the walking dead as a tv series and a comic book didn't appeal to me and i didn't understand why it was so popular and i was on vacation outside of uh yellowstone in a very conservative small town and i realized they had posters up anti-wolf posters because they hate the wolves because the government put them there uh, pro-gun posters, uh, stuff about, like, like those things, like, if you can read this, the bitch fell off, right. that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And then Walking Dead stuff. <laughs> and I finally put together <laughs> that it is a conservative fantasy. Yeah. And I, for some reason, hadn't put that together this whole time. And I'm like, oh, so it's appealing to, like, 50% of the nation. Right, that's why that, the biggest that the show other is stuff because isn't it's a- this, like, it appeals to horror dorks who aren't 
who are just like, yeah, I just like a thing that's violent on TV. Um, but it also yeah. appeal and and nerds who are just like zombies are now just a nerd thing. But it also just yeah. like really appeals to people who are fucking scared of Obama. <laughs> you know? Well, it, it there's a show there's a show that's fascinating called like Doomsday Bunkers or Doomsday Preppers, uh-huh. and about half to seventy five percent of these people. Um, have this whole thing set up where they keep talking about zombies and killing zombies, and they have their 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 uh, their homemade uh, shooting ranges or have zombies. And at a certain point, you finally realize they're talking about minorities. Right? No, that's the thing. So, like, I and I really don't. This is like a fucking soapbox that I'm not prepared to get up on as far as like violence in media and the effect on the culture and stuff. But I do think things in culture have effect on people's uh beliefs and and their view and the way they view the world and things and i do worry that we have the biggest show on tv just unquestionably just has egregious violence happening all the time and like cool characters just blowing heads off and shit and it's just not questioned by anyone <laughs> like and wormwood road of the dead is totally all that like i imagine the people who really like this movie thought it was just like funny and fun and exciting the way that Evil Dead is, or something, or Evil Dead Two is, I should say, where Ash like gets the yeah. chainsaw hand and stuff. But like the point of that is that Ash gets his fucking ass handed to him and thrown around and everything. Like it's like there's that arc where it's Wormwood. It's all just like yeah, fucking burn, darn it, like just heavy metal soundtrack and oh, it is the most obnoxious thing ever. And it it grosses me out that 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 sort of violent fantasy is so prevalent in our culture and is. Just kind of accepted, um, which which makes me sound like an old person, and makes also makes me sound like um, uh, uh, someone who wants to start doing video nasties and like, oh, won't we please think of all the impressionable children? But like, I I do think that there is a a gross conservative survivalist angle to the popularity of zombie stuff, um, and there's a certain level of. Uh, gross conservative survivalist antisocial fantasy that comes with the popularity of zombies in a time when the economy is collapsing and we've reached peak oil and just and and there's just you know and there's just unrest everywhere i think that it's maybe not healthy (laughs) (laughs) and you know so like wormwood road of the dead i had watched the first three seasons of Walking Dead recently. I just mainlined them because I just wanted a, like a dumb show that was easy to watch while I didn't have to pay yeah. too much attention to it. And it, and it started to like I started to eat irk me and just get under my skin and feel kind of gross. And then after I watched Wormwood, just suddenly everything was just like, bro, zombies fucking suck now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, even if you, even if even if you're not reading all this social social uh, backstory into it. They, we're at, we're totally saturated with zombie stuff. Yeah, and it's 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 a lot. Even if it was, even if half of it was good, it would be too. I much. mean, and even like well-made, clever versions of that sort of thing, just narratively aren't that interesting. Like I would say, like Zombieland is the exact same thing, where it's just about how cool these characters are to kill all these zombies mm-hmm. in cool ways. Like that's the opening of the movie is like zombie kill of the week you know um and stuff like that like that movie is well made and that movie has good actors in it and that movie is clever cleverly written but like it's just not that compelling 
No, and that, that was why I wanted to like the battery, which I very briefly yeah. talked about last time more than I did because the battery was a little bit it's almost an, about almost an antidote. <laughs> right, it's almost like this isn't actually cool, and it's also not. It's it's a little bit funny. But it's it's not super tragic. Like a lot of Walking Dead is just people being sad. Yeah. Um, but also yeah, like and it was how almost that an tragedy makes you a tougher dude. Like, you know, like, yeah. oh, I dealt with real shit and I lost my wife and now I'm fucking badass. You know, like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Walking Dead gets better. Again, I only saw the first three seasons. So people who really like Walking I gave Dead, up after season three. So I don't know. Either. Yeah. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, we're now into five votes. These are the these are the bad boys right here. This is some good shit. This is if if, if this <laughs> if if it's got five votes and it's on this list, consider it a strong recommendation for your uh, October viewing uh, and post October viewing because sometimes you need to wind down at beginning of November with more horror films. Um, we start in the forties, nineteen forty two. Cat People. This is a film I was very upset that I didn't vote for it the first time around. Once I realized that it got no votes, I was like, oh yeah, I should have voted for it because this is one of my absolute all-time favorite horror movies. I think it's the perfect combination of spooky Jacques Tuner visuals and, uh, you know, a power of suggestion and his mastery of shadow and stuff like that and a really, really, really strong melodrama at the center of it. I think it's adult and it's and it's it's really adult and interesting and character driven in a way that absolutely no horror films were at this time. Mm-hmm. Like there there is no precedent for this movie, but this is where you get movies like Absentia <laughs> or, or like or you know any a or Let's Scare Jessica to Death and other films that really take its characters seriously, but also take the horror seriously, um, and find and find ways for. Uh, horror movie tropes and visuals to be expressive of the psychologies of characters. Like this is this is Ground Zero, baby. This is Cat People. It's amazing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I saw it on the big screen at a music box of horrors, and I'd seen it before, and I'd really liked it before. But seeing it on the big screen was a revelation because it is just an incredibly gorgeous movie, and especially for how low the budget was, um, it's. One of the most impressive things. And there's a really good <laughs> Val Luton box set that is very cheap. Um, and you get like eight Val Luton movies. He was the producer who made these movies at RKO at the time. Uh, like Cat People and Isle of the Dead and I Walked with a Zombie. Um, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's under $20. And you get mm-hmm. eight of the best horror movies of the 40s. Well, you get about like five of the best horror movies of the 40s and three clunkers. But that's fine. <laughs> um so if you haven't seen Cat People and you're looking for a way to see it, definitely check it out. Next is Night of the Demon, 1957, another Jacques Tourneur film. This his yep. return to horror um, after The Leopard Man in 1940 in 1946, I believe. Um, no, 45 was Leopard Man. But uh, anyway, so this is his return. It's a British film, an adaptation of Mr. Very, very, very loose adaptation of an Mr. James uh, story, casting the runes. Uh, this is the first time I'd seen it. I really like this movie. Yeah, I need to revisit this one. It's been a while since I've seen it. Oh, okay, okay, uh, no problem. I, 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 because I had just talked over cat people entirely. I, saw, I wanted to. Give no, no, you but you said demon. you, yeah, you got, you got it out of the way. You said the right things. <laughs> I didn't have to interrupt you and say that's bullshit, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, for yeah. Um, Night of the Demon has fun special effects in addition to sort of eerie tone and creepy power of suggestion. 
the the demon itself, while the puppetry isn't that great, um, the sort of cloud of fog it it arrives on, and the and the composite optical effect they get to make that happen is really good. There's some really powerful images in this. It's a it's a story about a, a guy, a skeptic, whose uh, friend has been killed, and people think he was cursed uh, because the friend was debunking this Satanist uh, or cultist of some sort. I think Satanist. And people think the Satanist killed him, so he's trying to debunk that and at the same time figure out if the Satanist murdered him in order to, you know, promote this idea that he has magic powers. And he gets cursed as well. Very cool movie with a fun seance scene. Uh, next is Kwai Don, 1964. Uh, talked about this really extensively on the Anthology Horror episode, so listen to that if you want to hear my opinions about it. What do you think about this, uh, Gabe? I like it, and I'm looking forward to revisiting it now that it's uh, getting a Blu-ray and it showed up on my uh, Criterion Hulu account. Um, its length does make it a little hard to just sit down and watch, I suppose, but because it's an uh, anthology, it's uh, pretty easy to, to you know, take bathroom breaks or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would say it's, its length never bothered me because it is, it's paced so deliberately, um, and yeah. it has such a... Uh, ethereal quality that it, it it is hypnotizing now does the new blu-ray is that a restored version because there's a three-hour version and there's like a two-hour 40-minute version um hold on a second i just spilled on myself can yeah. we pause for a second <laughs> yeah sure hold on <laughs> christine could you get me something to wipe myself off with? she handed me a drink and i didn't know it was open <laughs> God, she's laughing and not finding me anything. To... Oh God! <laughs> you flipped your wrist. You turned it. <laughs> yes, it's gonna be fun to be sticky now. Ugh. That's what she said. <laughs> um, no, I don't need any. Uh, I I just ate a candy bar. I need like real food after we're done here. Okay. Um. Okay. So what were we saying? <laughs> Quite on. How you doing? All right, I think I'm good. Okay. Um, I used this opportunity to run and get a cookie, so let me swallow what's in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> like a child, I saw another child distract the teacher, and I just ran and stole a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> like one child like Miss ah, Crab Apple I spilled on myself and I'm like cookie time <laughs> alright <sighs> yeah the drink was open I didn't realize it and she was trying to hand me something else and I went to say no 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 with the drink <laughs> and instead went splash 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 <laughs> alright and we're oh. back and we're back and Gabe is dry hey Gabe hello <laughs> So I was saying there's a, the, a, the first uh, Criterion release of Kwai Don was two hours, 40 minutes. And there's a new release. And I was wondering, is this the full version or is this, uh, is this the same cut? I hadn't thought to look into that. Huh. Um, I, suppose, I suppose most of our listeners have the internet and can probably yeah, find Google. out. Yeah. Don't be lazy. Google. Anyway, it would be cool to revisit it on Blu-ray because – it's funny. I think the two most gorgeous color horror films ever made are probably 
well, with Suspiria, I guess. But like yeah. two of the two of the three are this Black Sabbath <laughs> are this and Black Sabbath, and they're both anthology films. And they both came yeah. out within two years of each other. Uh, next is Durfan, nineteen eighty two, a German film. Uh, now, what is this like? Okay, so this is one I had been meaning to watch for years, um, but it was very under the radar, and I'm surprised it got as many votes as it did, because even the Blu-ray that came out this year didn't seem to get a lot of fanfare to me. But it is a very straightforward... Um, it's very similar to, to, to any sort of story about uh, fanatics uh, and the way they idolize people and then become murderers. Uh, is a teenager, uh, she obsesses over a lead singer of her favorite band and it alienates her from her friends and family and she drops out of school and she attacks the mailman because he hasn't delivered uh, any replies to her fan letters, which of course the guy is not even getting. Um, And she runs away and she ends up uh, meeting him and he uh, is, uh, he decides to sort of, you know, he takes advantage of the fact that this young girl wants to have sex with him and, and sort of treats her as a, as a groupie, but also is, is feeding into her uh, psychosis by saying, yeah, yeah, they do want to keep us apart. I did get your letters. You are beautiful and I love you and stuff like that. Um, and they go on holiday and uh, quote unquote holiday and, uh, after they have sex, things go really badly, um, and I suppose I don't want to ruin how dark it gets, but it gets very dark. So this is a very um, realistic, psychological sort of thing? But at the same time, it's not, because it's told from her point of view, which is even including a, a narration. Mm-hmm. So she's describing how everybody is ruining her life, and we can see it's not. And it's also very stylized as far as the way it's directed. It's um, neon, fluorescent, and... Uh, it really reminded me of uh, Nicholas uh, Winding Refn's uh, kind of drive aesthetic. Oh, cool. And makes me think that he's seen this movie because I know he's into, uh, you know, kind of uh, underground horror and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and it's the the style and the, the electronic music and just how, how free-flowing it is because you could tell this whole story in maybe 30 minutes instead of 90 um, but it never feels over long, and, and it all works really. It's very uh, mesmerizing, and I liked it a lot. Awesome, and, the, and, and I, it just came out on Blu-ray. Yeah, Mondo Macabro, uh, and I, it's it's available on Amazon. I don't think you could find it in most stores, but awesome. Next is 2006 Bug, a William Friedkin movie. Surprised it got so many votes. I think it's a cool. It's based on a play, and it's very stage bound. It takes place sort of in a single apartment. Um. And it's about sort of uh, a, a woman, a desperate woman who meets uh, a man, a, par- a man with paranoid delusions, and eventually his psychosis becomes hers. Um, it was, it was the. I, I don't know if it's the feature film. De- it is not the feature film debut of Michael Shannon because he was in, uh, he was in a couple other movies. He was in like Cecil B. Demented and stuff. But this is sort of the movie that made him Michael Shannon. Yeah, it's his first big lead role, at least I think. And he's very good in it. Um, and Ashley Judd is also very good in it. And um, it's well put together. Yeah, uh, it, it, I like the fact that it's you can tell it's based on a play. Yeah, I can imagine the play not being as good as a movie because of the lack of claustrophobia. But I like the basically two or three characters the whole movie. Yeah, two or three characters like a three act structure. Hmm. Um, I'm 
I'm surprised to get so many votes. I I think that William Friedkin has had kind of a revival um, of appreciation between this and people really liked Killer Joe and the mm-hmm. re-release of Sorcerer. And he's mm-hmm. he, he gives great interview. Uh, so, and he's on Twitter all the time. He's easy to like these days. Yeah, I... I wonder how much that has to do with how many votes this got, but uh, at, at any rate, it's a it's a worthy movie. Definitely worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, next is the Babadook from 2014. This was an easy prediction. Um, it was obvious this was going to get a lot of votes, if only for the fact that this wasn't out the last time we did our podcast. Yeah. So this is a new one, uh, but it 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 definitely caused a big detonation. People loved this movie when it came out. This is one of a few movies recently that sort of had huge critical mass uh, horror movies that had a big critical mass. Yeah, I was noticing actually that uh, RottenTomatoes.com for years it's been the same 10 movies. It's their top 10 re- uh, reviewed horror movies. Uh-huh. And two movies on this list are now in that top 10. It's the first time it's changed in years. This is one of them. Um, you can probably guess what the other one is. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the other one later. <laughs> <laughs> this is... It's a... Real, it almost feels like a Carnival of Souls sort of a thing um, about uh, a woman who reads a storybook with her child and the creature in the storybook starts haunting her in real life. And then she starts kind of losing her mind and her grip on reality. And it ends up being a representation of her PTSD. Um, it's... It's really well made. The thing about Babadook is the actual scares themselves, they kind of feel like they're, it, there's nothing super original about them or even about mm-hmm. the story. It's, it's not the sort of thing that you wouldn't necessarily – like the scares, the sequences, they aren't necessarily the sort of sequences that you wouldn't see in an Insidious movie or Sinister or something. They're just better. They're, yeah, and they're framed by a more interesting story. Yeah, the characters are, are better too, but like the actual scares themselves – uh, you know, like the other movie that we're going to be talking about uh, later that's on the Rotten Tomatoes top 10. Like that movie is very unique and interesting and original, whereas this movie is just like it's just well made. The The thing about Babadook that struck me is uh, for years I worked with children and uh-huh. uh, the thing it captures is the uh, it, it, when a child is out of control, it is frightening in a very specific way that you know you can't hurt this person. You're supposed to protect this person. This person doesn't know any better, but they're also ruining your life at this moment. And I, as I am not a parent, but I've been in that situation, and I imagine that that uh, it, it worked really well with younger parents. Uh, and uh, I've also heard that the people who didn't like it didn't like it because they thought the kid was obnoxious, which to me kind of sounds like it was successful. Yeah. In that it's supposed to make them on edge. It's supposed to be really difficult to deal with. There's also, yeah, there also um, just as someone who works at a video store and has, and has people asking what's a good horror movie that came out recently. And we'll often have to deal with the responses to my movies that I love from people who could care less about the history of horror or what this does interesting or different or whatever. Uh, a lot of people just think, well, it was kind of dumb. The uh, storybook character comes to life. Pretty dumb. Yeah. <laughs> they want they want ghosts and zombies and, yeah. Yeah, there's there's yeah. a certain left brain contingent that was like, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. 
unfortunately. Um, but uh, luckily, I, th- I do think it was pretty successful uh, critically and probably for the kind of movie it was commercially as well. Um, next is Spring 2014. Uh, this is from the filmmakers who made Resolution, a film I was not a fan of but has a bit of a following. Um, this You saw this. What is this? I watched it. It was on Amazon Prime. Uh, it is... Uh... The best, the quickest way to describe it is it's um, uh, before sunset with uh, monster movie elements. Okay, uh, which also explains why I didn't like it. I think um, I was reading. Uh, it's it's a guy's mom dies and he gets in a fight with a redneck in a bar, loses his job at that bar, and decides to skip town to avoid the cops. Um, and despite having no job and, and having money problems previously, then he goes to Italy and and, and wanders around Italy uh, somehow without any money problems and uh, meets slacker stereotypes. Uh, it, and it becomes sort of a formless travelogue for almost 40 minutes, I would say, uh, or at least felt like that. And then finally, uh, he meets a girl that harbors these secrets that um, turn out to be that she is a ancient monster that uh has to basically give birth to herself every i can't remember how many years 50 years or something like that um and so that movie is is interesting the monster is is the effects are interesting and they're done with a low budget but good computer effects and the love story between the two of them is believable and almost touching to the fact that like the first time he sees her transforming because she's been keeping it secret from him um he reacts in fear but also realizes who it is and, and does the right thing to save her, gets her her uh, medication. She just points at it with her monster finger. And, and so there's things about it that work, but those first 40 minutes are so terrible. Um, and there's there, these awkward, what upper middle class people think uh, white trash talks like. Uh-huh. Um, and just pointless stuff that has no real bearing on the story that you could have told in a... Uh, you could have had hair... The two of them talking and him explain the entire 40 minutes of the movie in, in three sentences, basically. My mom died. I got in a fight. I had to come here. I mean, it's it, it's an incredibly un, un, an efficient movie that there is a good movie hiding in there somewhere. That's a- and I was reading all the good reviews, and, and, and they're saying stuff like it lets the narrative breathe and it tears down the boundaries of genre definitions. Um, And I think that these are people who don't like horror movies yeah. that are saying this. <laughs> like, like the same way that uh, I'm not a like I'm not a fan of of heavy metal music. I don't listen to much heavy metal music, so my favorite metal band is System of a Down because they sound the least like a regular heavy metal band. Right, and they do interesting things with heavy metal music, but they're not necessarily yeah, it, like the most achieved, most musically uh, adept, uh, best metal band. And there's probably um, 7,000 other metal bands that do the exact same thing they do way before they did it and that you just haven't heard of because you don't listen to metal music. Right. Yeah, it's that the it's it's probably it's problematic uh, and I didn't really like it very much, but it is a good companion piece to Starry Eyes in that they're kind of the opposite where um, Starry Eyes starts really strong and kind of tapers off in this one starts like shit and then gets better. It's I thought I thought Resolution had a very good movie buried under shit. Um I think Resolution basically the problem with Resolution was other than the fact that there's nothing scary in it at all. Um it its premise was like Cabin in the Woods, so in order to disguise mm-hmm. that, they had, had to actually just like tear it apart 
and then therefore it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. They they did a horrible episode of VHS Viral. Oh, yeah. It's the worst one in an already bad movie. Um, that's the only other thing of theirs I've seen. So, so yeah, maybe, maybe not her favorite. New favorite filmmakers. Yeah. Next, we have the six voters. These are the heavyweight champions. These are some badass movies. Six votes. First one, we have two of them. First one, 1973, Messiah of Evil. You told me to watch this last year. You were right. This movie is fucking awesome. I'd like to think that, that me telling you and then you talking about it had something to do with it getting the six votes yeah. that, that we made at least six other people watch it. Maybe. I, 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 this is, to me, this is the poster child for the rough, the things that are rough around the edges in a horror film, the things that feel low rent, the things that feel cheap, the things that feel unbelievable. Those things can be additive and not subtractive. And I think nothing is a better example of that than Messiah of Evil, which is a weird disjointed movie that was hobbled together from an unfinished horror film by a French producer um, who just sort of rearranged some scenes and made up a backstory. Um, that film was, I think it was called the second coming. It's, but what, what that producer, he lucked out because the movie he bought that was unfinished had some fucking striking visuals in it as well. Um, and it, 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 incredible ambition. Uh, a lot of low budget horror movies have no ambition because they're like, well, we don't have a budget. What are we going to do? Um, and I think this one d- did, did interesting things with no money. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. And it's, I don't know. The, uh, I, I've, I find myself describing this as, uh, this is the horror movie equivalent of Joan Didion's, uh, slouching towards Bethlehem, which if you haven't read that book, Basically, this this movie feels like late 60s, early 70s, every fear and sort of anxiety about California and, like, California culture and, like, hippie culture and and just the, the death of the free love and all of that sort of thing. And the feeling that, like, things have gone wrong and things have gone dark and there's something there's something terrible spreading from California to the rest of the world. Like, that is... I mean, Joe Dinian writes these really great nonfiction essays that are not alarmist or anything, but they all have this very strong unease with the culture of uh, California in that book. And then this movie, while not being as well written as as her as her essays, is like this is the the shoddy exploitation uh, encapsulation of that feeling. Um, like where the Temple of the Damned, where the where the dead meet to do wicked deeds, is a Ralph supermarket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's it's insane it's so good the, the rivers of evil all flow in the aisles of ralph's you know um it, it's also i think we, I, we talked about this earlier but it's it's a good representation of where zombie movies might have gone yeah had dawn of the dead not been so like important and, and the one that everything mimicked from there on out <clears throat> yeah uh i can't recommend this movie enough uh did this get like a recent Re-release or Blu-ray or by uh, Code Red DVD, which means it got a Blu-ray, but it, you have to order it directly from them. It's a limited one, uh-huh. uh, and they keep printing more of them. But it is available. But it didn't get much of a re-release. Uh, it's it's re-release on, on DVD was maybe four, five, six years ago. Yeah, I think it just built uh, a reputation in the meantime. Uh, very great film. The other one, the other one that got six votes from 1977 is How uh, this is the perfect example of a movie that reputation sort of grew overnight 
due to a home video release. When Criterion released their version of Haosu, also known as House, the Japanese horror film, uh, it it was just like a neutron bomb of of cultivation. <laughs> uh, as, as all of these cult film fans who had never heard of it or had never seen it lost their minds. Um, and I'm and I'm I'm happy to be among them. I love that movie. Yeah, and it was one of those ones where people weren't sure for a while. I remember uh, people thinking it was a new movie. Yeah. That it was a throwback, kind of like in the spirit of Grindhouse, a throwback to like Evil Dead and stuff. And then people slowly realized, no, it was it predates Evil Dead <clears throat> and all this, uh, all that Evil Dead, the Spookablast stuff. Uh, and that made it even more special. Um, I, I obviously don't want to talk too much about Hazu just because it it... It, I feel like it's so well known among both horror people and just people mm-hmm. who are generally interested in film because of that Criterion release. Um, mm-hmm. But it is, it is, it is interesting that people thought maybe it was a new movie because it is so. It does feel so out of time. Um, there's, yeah. I mean, there are certain things obviously that that ground it uh, as far as like there's an American like folk song <laughs> during one part that just sounds like a something like a, maybe like a Carpenter song or something. Um, and it seems like something that uh, Eli Roth would have thrown into Cabin Fever or something. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, but other than that, it's it's it just feels like what is the tradition? Like, what tradition does this come from? What what inspired this? It it feels uh, uh, without a father, and it's kind of what makes it so special. Yep. Next is the things that got seven votes. These are all timers. I'm, I'm trying to find new ways to elevate my praise <laughs> when I introduce all these different vote sections. These are the big, yeah, this is, this makes entire planets explode. Um, so the first one that got seven votes from 1971, Wake and Fright, Australian uh, film, very strange. I, not at all, was a, with the setup, I was like, oh, okay, so this is like Australian Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, it's actually more like Australian Kafka. Yeah, it does really feel like it is Kafka esque. It's uh, I almost don't know how to explain it. It's uh, a teacher is going to go a teacher who lit is out in Bumblefuck nowhere in the outback. Uh, he does not like being there. He was assigned there. He's going to go on vacation to Sydney, um, but something hap- But he has to stop in one town first before going to the airport, and then something happens. Oh yeah, he he loses all of his money betting, and he just gets yeah. stuck in that town, and then he almost and then just over the course of about an hour and a half, he just slowly gets assimilated into the town and worn down, and he stops resisting it, and it's it's a rough movie. It's it's there's not there's not a lot of quote unquote horror elements. There's no real like there's not a murderer. There's no supernatural elements to it really um it's fascinating though yeah it 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 was lost for a while so the blu-ray release again a blu-ray release kind of brought it back to the attention and so did the again this keeps coming up uh the not quite hollywood documentary had a bit about it um where they were referring to it as the the aussie nightmare <clears throat> the the you know film equip uh realization of the australian nightmare and how this is the the worst it gets and the people who can't escape this lifestyle and stuff like that yeah a lifestyle that includes by the way copious amounts of real beer being drank and being drunk yeah on screen you can tell like you see them fill the you see them fill a glass with beer and someone down it and then the glass be filled again 
So, like, it's not even, like, movie beer. It's not even, like, colored water. It's beer beer. And you get that kind of feeling, that shaky kind of feeling that people were kind of... It, not not necessarily improvisational, but just, like, everyone is a little bit on edge, all the actors and the performances, and it, it, a lot of naturalistic dialogue and, like, uh, people overlapping with each other and stuff. And it, it's... It's 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 it manages to generate a lot of tension through through a lot of unconventional means, and uh, and the, there is a binge the, drinking the kangaroo is one of hunting them. sequence. Uh, needs to people should maybe be aware that there is a scene that they they recorded actual kangaroo hunt and left it in the movie, and so there's a lot of kangaroos murdered in this movie, and they were murdered for this the. I don't remember why they were being called or something, but uh, it's it's genuine on screen animal death, which I know can be a trigger for some people. Sure, yeah, no, that that's absolutely fair. Don't watch this movie if you uh, are unprepared to see animals die, <laughs> uh, um, or I don't know. Once once they start driving around chasing down kangaroos, maybe just do like a chapter skip, <laughs> like yeah, maybe it is a chapter. Yeah, uh, try to try to because it's not like. It's not pervasive. It's not there's throughout the movie different animals get killed, but that is certainly yeah, a rough sequence, um, a meaningfully rough sequence, but a rough sequence nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Really cool movie. I'm not sure I totally vibed with it all the way. I think probably I, if I rewatched it, I would like it more just because it wouldn't be fighting my expectations of okay, when is this turning into Texas Chainsaw Massacre? You know, when is this turning into, or at least when is this turning into Bad Day at Black Rock? When it, when is the town going to like turn on him and turn evil? And it never happens. It's, it's much more interesting than that. Um, next is 1986, Friday 13th, part six, Jason lives classic. Uh, we talked about this a little bit. We were talking about the series, uh, just really, really well-toned combination of horror and comedy. Um, not many slasher movies and are able to thread that needle as well as this does. It might be the only one in the whole series where children actually show up at the camp. That's right. You, uh, it's it's not like the counselors are getting ready for the kids and they they get all murdered. It's that the kids show up, and that's a that's a cool because it sets it up as if it's yet another just group of counselors to get killed. And then I can only think of one thing scarier than Jason. And then what's that? And then you hear the bus pull up, and you don't even. And it's sort of a fun. Uh, playing with your expectations you never expect kids to show up in one of these movies and not that not that any of them get killed or anything it's still a hollywood movie but um but at the very least the threat of it well yeah yeah at very least jason stalking around a cabin with kids like hiding under the cover and stuff is is pretty eerie i imagine especially if you were like an eight-year-old who who liked these kinds of movies and watched this that would get to you probably more than just counselors being stalked uh would um, because mm-hmm. this is the sort because of, then it would be like the sort of thing you lie awake in bed worrying about. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's its reputation kind of precedes it again. Uh, I don't think I have anything very unique to say about it. I, I do enjoy it quite a bit. It's probably my second favorite uh, Friday 13th movie. Yep. It's, yeah, it's either first or second for me. And it changes. And another uh, another fun thing is if you've read Crystal Lake Memories, that book. um. This this is like the one movie that everyone has fond memories of making. <laughs> uh, and it was the only one that got decent reviews. I think it's the only one with a positive, uh, re- more positive than negative reviews. Yeah, and this is also 
the, apparently like the way this movie was made was like a summer camp where basically they said, okay, there's not going to be any nudity. So none of, none of the actresses have to feel exploited or whatever. Uh, Tom McLaughlin, uh, the director, his, his wife who is, who acts in it as the, as the girl who goes, I've seen enough movies about guys in masks to know that it's, it's trouble. Or I've seen enough horror Nothing, movies to know a guy, yeah. guy in a mask is trouble. And she was like a sort of a, uh, like a den mother to all of the act, uh, all the cast and crew and just made sure everyone was having a good time. And it makes it, it's certainly like, there's no sleaze to this movie. I think there's like one sex scene in it, but it's just like a goofy sex scene in it and there's no nudity. And the, and the fact that there's just like no sleaze factor to it makes it, means it does lack something that other Friday the 13th have, but it also makes it a little easier to just enjoy guilt-free, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it's certainly like a very enjoyable 80s horror movie when... When when your first thought about like eighties horror movie, eighties uh, American horror goes, as far as that kind of campy, fun, special effects driven uh horror movie, this is a very good version of that. And just a fun one to put on. Um and because there's no nudity in it, um, this is the one I actually this is like the Friday the thirteenth that I put on at work whenever I'm working. Because if kids come in, they can watch it. Right. Um I don't I don't I think I think the gore in it even though the it does have like gory kills, I don't think the gore in it is realistic enough to scare any modern children. No, a lot of it was cut too. This this one and seven, six and seven got a lot of stuff. Cut, yeah, yeah, Se- seven got the worst of it, but yeah, it's like it's like we said when we were talking about final chapter. Like that was sort of the before that it started getting really cut. Um, mm-hmm. so that's a fun movie. Next is Drag Me to Hell, two thousand nine. This is a apology film because this is the film that got several, I think four votes last year and we didn't talk about it. We talked about how weird it was that no one voted for it, but really it was like, <laughs> oh, how weird that Patrick's fucked up this list and accidentally deleted Drag Me to Hell. Um, total spook blast totally fun, uh, good characters, well-made. It's fun to, as, as much as I, uh, as far, I used to think this might be one of my favorite Evil Dead movies, but rewatching. uh, I saw the original as a midnight movie in 35 millimeter recently. And it made me realize like how special and unique that movie is. Uh, and it, yeah. I don't think I like this nearly as much as that, but it's fun to see that comic sensibility um, being tied to a major Hollywood film. And it's one where the PG 13 doesn't like you originally, I remember hearing that it was going to be PG 13 and being a little disappointed because the evil dead movies were more violent, but the unrated version is actually less funny. It, it, uh, having a little bit extra blood kind of ruins a couple of the jokes. <clears throat> yeah, the, the tone is it, the tone is so light that uh, that egregious violence really isn't necessary. Yeah, and and but but at the same time, it, it might be the only. I mean, even Sam Raimi's well received movies, uh, like uh, I think The Gift had pretty good reviews, and uh, um, A Simple Plan don't have a lot of subtext or. Anything like that, and this one has a really interesting uh, bulimia anorexia subtext to it that somebody points out at a certain point. I don't think anybody noticed when it first came out. Yeah, I don't. I don't um, think that was commented on, but 
I, and it's kind of fascinating to to rewatch it with that in mind and think. I don't think, honestly, don't think Sam Raimi ever did anything like that in his movies. If he did, he disguised it so well, I never noticed it. But it makes it gives it an extra level, I think, where it's smart on top of being silly and fun. Yeah, and and also I like that uh, being PG thirteen doesn't mean it isn't gross because the MPAA is concerned with violence, but apparently they don't really care if other bodily fluids are everywhere. <laughs> So right. like, there's a lot of really gross shit in this movie, uh, and right. it, it but it's inventive gross shit. It's not uh, someone's head explodes and brains fly everywhere. It's someone knocks over a someone knocks a corpse out of a casket and they start dripping formaldehyde out their mouth into someone else's mouth. Like <laughs> really, yeah. really gross, funny stuff like that. Um, yeah. And the you know the parking garage scene is a classic. Uh, probably yes. one of the. You know, like when they when you start making the montage of great moments in Sam Raimi's career, that that's right up there with the scenes in Spider Man Two and uh, Evil Dead Two. Yeah, um, I agree. Really cool movie, and uh, probably got, only got more votes because <laughs> because uh, it, people wanted to revote for it again. Um, so again and again, sorry that it didn't get in last year. Uh, and then we're at the final movie. Uh, the the one that got all the votes. This is those all had seven. This did not have eight votes. This did not have nine votes. This had twelve votes. Um, it, if there was any doubt, which I don't think there really was, to whether or not um, whether or not it follows was considered an instant classic upon release. Uh, I think its reputation is pretty strong. Who knows if it will you know stick around? These things can change. But uh, I think it's a great film, and it's really cool that such a great, unique, well-made film is getting so much recognition. Um, I love It Follows. Uh, do you, I, you, did you get to see it, it Follows in theaters? No, I didn't get to see it in theaters. I, I got a review copy, so I did see it uh, pretty recently, actually. And, and uh, how, Not too long ago. How do you like it? I really like it. I think that it it does um its major problem is at the very end because they haven't established uh rules exactly um that there's almost no point in having a scene where they try to kill it um because there's no reason to think that it, they'll succeed. And so that whole pool scene feels even though it's well put together and I like the way it looks um it feels superfluous and unnecessary. And I feel like there was would be a more interesting way to show that somehow them passing it uh, away from them to to it with the uh, by having sex I don't know and then and then it making it still making its way back to them at the end like that final shot it still has to be in there obviously but it feels like there would be another way to put a pause on it and make them feel like they were in a that safe is place. that's a common uh, that's a common criticism is that the yeah the pool scene feels baldly kind of just constructed so there can be a horror climax um i i had no problem with it i i quite enjoyed the pool scene um i mean i think i don't know like there's a lot in terms of this film i think about uh i associate with nightmare on elm street and i i Mm -hmm. i I would say that it's almost the same thing as nightmare on elm street where um it's it almost feels like well, doing nothing is not an option, so we have to do something. What if blank? You know, um, 
But in Nightmare on Elm Street, that 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 comparison is the direct one I was making. Is that is in Nightmare on Elm Street, it's like, oh, we can bring him into the real world. Um, let's let's do that and see if that can fix the problem. And then later they figure out, you know, if we stop believing him, maybe that will fix the problem. Where in this case, it's just let's put him in water and electrocute him. It doesn't. There's no concept behind their trap. It's just a trap. Fair enough. I um, I think that and I think that feels sequ- like the rest of the movie has concept behind it, and 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 it's playing with either uh, horror lore or um, the, the many many allegories, whatever metaphor you want to stick into this movie, it will probably work. And that's the one part that I don't think has. It, it just feels standard issue. Yeah, I don't know. I think I just found it really effective, so I didn't I didn't mind it. I I, I get that. Um, I I don't think you're wrong, but. Uh, I and it definitely didn't ruin the movie. It's still a great yeah. movie. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, the fact that it isn't a perfect movie is not unique to this film. That's just fine. Yeah. Um, I I think one of the things I most appreciated about it is it is how well tempered its '80s throwback is. <laughs> like, it has mm-hmm. the electronic score. Um, it has the sort of but like a modern version of a John Carpenter score. It doesn't try to actually sound like a John Carpenter thing. Um, it just is sort of like right. a modern interpretation, like modern electronic music as filtered through John, John Carpenter music. Um, and it has a sort of weird timelessness in the fact that there's a weird uh, Kindle that's in a seashell. So it's like, well, okay, so there's things that don't actually exist in real life, but they don't. They don't really talk on cell phones. They talk on like they hit. She when she calls, she's trying to warn her uh, next uh, her neighbor across the street. She like picks up a, a phone with a cord, you know, like yeah, like it kind of takes place at in no specific time period, and that kind of adds to the dreamy feel of it, and and that also adds yeah, that also adds to like the throwback nature of it in terms of like this is this could be a movie in the eighties, but it's not a movie in the eighties. Um. And I also appreciate, and that's something I really, I really like. I think there's a, other movies that are doing this out of time thing that I think is really working for them. I think that uh, Duke of Burgundy, which we just talked about, is yeah. one that it takes place in no specific time. Well, um, I, I think honestly, most of the successful versions of this I've seen, they are horror adjacent, <laughs> almost. Uh, where, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of movies that now have a deep under that come from filmmakers who seem to have a deep understanding of genre films and a love of certain eras and, and certain subgenres of films. But what they do with them is totally different. Like Peter Strickland, his last two films are both totally that where is Duke of Burgundy a horror film? No, but does it take from a lot of like no. Euro horror and Jess Franco and, and stuff like that? Absolutely. Um, yep. And same with barbarian sound studio. It's not a giallo film. Uh, it's closer to a horror film, but it it's also exists so much in that era. And I mean, there's a lot of movies nowadays that are a lot of really well uh, well received horror films aren't actually scary. <laughs> you know, there's like Cabin in yeah. the Woods, which I don't think anyone has ever been scared by Cabin in the Woods, but other than like maybe the scene where she's making out with the werewolf head, or not the werewolf head, just the wolf head. <laughs> That seems really tense, yeah. but everything else is kind of whatever. Like, you know, Lords of Salem is not scary. Uh, yeah. But this movie just also works. Like, I think this movie is 
has really well it, constructed scares and really just really it, good sequences. It does the, the, the beach house bit uh, is genuinely super scary, and I I love the way he used uh, widescreen. Is very that was the carpenter bit that a lot of the people mimicking carpenter don't get how well he used widescreen to make uh, Michael Myers walk out of the side of the frame in the far background or something like that. And you, as you're watching it follows, you realize you're 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 scanning the horizon constantly. Yeah, there's con- for people walking towards. Yeah, the, the camera's constantly panning around and rotating. There's like whole 360 degree scans where just any extra in the background could potentially be it. Um, it's a, I mean, mm-hmm. this is a movie that, again, it got 12 votes. A lot of people have seen this. A lot of people love it. So I don't know if we're saying anything that hasn't been said, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy that a movie this good is getting this much recognition. Um, and maybe, yeah. and maybe people, we just have to wait for all the backlash now. Maybe people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's, there's, there's certainly going to be backlash as well. And again, like, <laughs> and if you want to just talk about just regular Joe's in a, in a video store, the complaint is, well, it was really boring. It's a boring movie because mm-hmm. it's because it's more slowly paced and the characters are are kind of uh, muted. Um, but I don't know. I like this movie and I hope maybe it inspires people uh, or uh, not really filmmakers because filmmakers have always known, you know, this things. But I hope maybe I hope that it inspires producers who are putting money towards horror films to allow things to be more character driven and slower and stranger. And I don't know, like not, not necessarily have to have a jump scare every, every 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, like if this had the same sort of impact on the horror, la- on the modern, like mainstream horror landscape that insidious did, which was another independent film that was much more successful uh, than anyone expected. Like, that would be wonderful. I'd be really happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is it. That is all 313 horror films of this episode. Gabe, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, oh boy. So this is a lot of fucking podcast. So congratulations <laughs> if you made it to the end. Um, you're the real, you're the real hero. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know if we're going to do this again next year. It might be too hard. It might get really (laughs) weird next year. Um, There's still, like, a fair amount of well-known movies that haven't been voted on. Like, It's Alive, I don't think, has a vote. I don't think, you know, like, there's a handful of movies that you one could vote, but I don't know if it would work again next year because I don't know if we'd be able to muster up this much enthusiasm about the the movies that would come out. And also... I, will, I, I really hope people don't double down if we did it again on doing things that aren't quite horror movies. Like, if the Apocalypse Now factor went up, I think we, it wouldn't be as fun. Yeah. I I actually, I had ten movies, and I I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I cut it down to six. <laughs> um, and I don't even know if I want to add it here, because it's already too long. Yeah. If you want to just name them real quick. I'll name them off. It's uh, The Ghost of uh, uh, Yotsua from 1959, a Japanese horror movie. The Devil Rides Out, which is my new favorite Hammer horror movie. Um, The Blind Woman's Curse, which is a uh, kind of uh, samurai horror movie. 
The White of the Eye, which is getting a Blu-ray released in the U.S. really soon, uh, which is a sort of American giallo movie that was also filmed around my hometown of Tucson, Arizona. Um, Steel and Lace, which is a uh, rape revenge movie where the woman is killed and her brother uh, brings her back as a robot with, like, drill bits inside of her to get revenge on the idiots who decide to try to rape her again, I guess. I can't remember how that plays in. And The Black Room, which is a really strange 80s uh, vampire movie about uh, two siblings that have a uh, blood deficiency v- uh, virus of some kind, or they might not, that uh, ha- hire out a black uh, black room for couples that want to uh, that, that are, want to have extramarital affairs, and then they uh, eventually kill and take their blood. All right. All right. Not to be confused with the Boris Karloff um a doppelganger the film, room. The Black Room. Yeah, right. This is from 1984. Thank you so much again, Gabe. Uh, everybody, Thank you. if you like this, uh, if you listen to the end of this, uh, send an email: directorsclubpodcast.com. Um, I'm on Letterboxd. Um, I'm just Patrick Rapola on Letterboxd. Uh, Gabe, you're on Twitter and Letterboxd, right? Yeah, uh, Twitter, uh, Gabe M Powers, and Letterboxd just Gabe Powers, and. Uh, you write for DVD Active. I write for DVD Active. Um, all right. Well, thank you again. And uh, until next time, if there is a next time. Uh, oh, I didn't think of a sign-off. Hold on. Let me think of one real quick. Stay scary. No, stay sick. Oh, stay yeah. sick. There we go. I'll go ghoul <laughs> I'll uh, stay... Uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know. And uh, until next time, stay sick. All right. All right. That's it. <laughs>